0: Assalamu alaikum, I'm Khalil Alika.
1: And I'm Zahir Parker. and Welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com.
0: So AccidentalMuslims.com is a a movement, a platform, where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose.
1: And we believe that everybody has a story to tell. This podcast hopes to add value. So welcome and enjoy.
0: Razin Koppal, shukran for joining us.
2: Afwan, assalamu alaikum to you and... Um everyone else. Uh, yeah. Appreciate it. Um it's very kind of you to have me on your pleasure, very popular platform. Yeah. I
0: mean, yeah. So so we actually live on Instagram and on Facebook and okay. on the podcast. So oh, all right. yeah, let's get into it. Who is Razine Kopa? I think that's a a, a very heavy question. It is a
2: heavy question, yeah.
0: So who are you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um <coughs>
0: How would you describe yourself?
2: Uh, how would I describe myself? My, okay, my name is supposed to mean some form of serenity or tranquility, but I think I'm anything but that, um, you know, so pretty much unorganized or disorganized chaos, I would think. Okay. Um I think the lifestyle that I lead is a fairly uh, frenetic one uh, in the sense that uh, there's lots of teaching and interaction and meetings and keeping up with uh, innovation, etc. Uh, on the one hand, um, uh, on the other hand, obviously, um, you know, we speak from a purely occupational point of view, because from a, from a pure, purely uh, priority point of view, naturally, it's uh, the time that you need to spend, you know, with your family. Yes. Um, but then there's obviously everyone's got their friends and their mates that you also want to keep in touch with. So between the teaching and uh, the kind of the occupational hazards, um, there's my attention that I need to be obviously paying to my Quran as well. So uh, which means you we have to be cycling regularly to keep that up. This is obviously, uh, I would say. Uh, for the most part, um, self-explanatory. I am and have also continued uh, doing some additional um, studies in Quranic sciences. Um, And so this also requires a little bit of additional time somewhere that one has to the rest of it. Mm-hmm. so now the day is becoming rather
0: so, uh, a <laughs> yes
2: yeah so the um, the teaching fortunately also from a, from the occupational point of view the what we would refer to as practicing uh going out and um, spending time in the field um, teaching junior operators how one would do the the procedure well, more like you know as a as a guide really um, cuz often um, there are either trained cardiologists or very senior um, people in, in training already. Um, right, and then that entailed having to go to Johannesburg in a regular interval as well. So having to spend, uh, you know, that that's now obviously time away from the family, etc. Yeah. Um, so for the most part, um, uh, yeah, Razine Gopal would be a fairly um, busy character um, and uh, kind of occupied, I would say, uh, the majority of the time yeah um, I, i'm sure my family would maybe d- disagree
0: mm. so let's go back a bit um, how was it in school yeah uh,
2: uh, in, school. Uh, how are you in school how
0: school? i am um, i think i feel pretty well okay. um
2: i uh and you always want to go into the medical field n- no no that, that's actually by default to be to be very frank with you um, I suppose I've had an affinity for it because my dad was a general practitioner, so you'd become accustomed to that kind of lifestyle of people waking him up at all hours and, you know, him being concerned or troubled about the condition of somebody. So that's, you know, part of your normal environment at home. Um, But, um, so I wouldn't say that I took my inspiration entirely from him to become a doctor. Certainly I took my inspiration um, from him for just about... um, the entire, uh, uh, shall I say, platform of how my life should be based in the in the type of the sense of the type of human being that he was. Um, both my parents. I mean, I am uh, alhamdulillah, I mean, extremely blessed. Um, and so I would think that uh, you know each and every success um, would be you know attributable to uh, themselves mm-hmm. and to my um, to my siblings first, and and then obviously. Now you know the continuum of what I would regard as the same family. Um, so the medicine story was a was a bit of a complication in the sense that I hadn't applied in in time. Okay. So, yeah. So so you must understand this is like, I'm not sure how much divine intervention there was here, but I hadn't applied uh, in time, and as rather disillusioned after school. Uh, I I was very intent on completing my Quranic studies. I I always wanted to study Quran. That was, you know, that was my love and insight in the Quran, you know, from from childhood. And it is a love that was instilled by our mother, you know, uh, uh, unquestionably, and today still. So, um, um, because my dad was a a revert to Islam, so it's not like, you know, he was the, uh, let's say, the strongest... Uh, person like, you know, in, in, in the house in that sense. He was a very kind of timid and um, meek person, you know, not the chattiest dude around. So, you know, pleasant guy that everyone in patience and, and, and those who like love, but not, not in any way um, uh, someone who uh, would either be seeking uh, the limelight in any way, uh, and certainly not someone who by any means um, would have any form of self-entitlement just because he was a doctor. Um, I think that that's continued in my life throughout. I wouldn't um, like to describe uh, the majority of them as pompous in any way, but um, my personal friends are, are, very few of them are actually, you know, doctors, mm-hmm. and either people of Qur'an and uh, relatively simple folk, right, as we would describe. Uh, but that's uh, you know uh, so that that probably going back to my dad as well. His dad was a his dad was a shoemaker, by profession, my father's father. Okay. So um, uh, you know from the from from the uh, inspirational point of view, I, I went back and obviously mentioned my my parents and and came coming back to my father, it had to do with. The fact that he'd actually gone out and went and applied on my behalf regardless. yeah. Okay. Uh, and so my um, results in the trick were not like um, uh, stupendously good. I think I had a few A's, but it was, it was definitely like a B and a C as well. <laughs> oh, and, wow. Yeah, you know, you know so I, I think that, you know, just to make, to make sure that everyone understands who <laughs> I really am, you know. it's uh, Okay, so then um, he, he applied for me to get in for medicine and I think I was on the waiting list or so and shame, I, I, I remember and I recall he still made, an, um, uh, you know, uh, an appointment with the dean of the faculty who was at that time professor, was referred to as Bok Wasserman. I, I, I reckon he had probably one of these like beards and stuff mm-hmm. and that's where that that nickname came from. Um, but in the case, Professor Wasserman, um, was then kind enough to um, consider our application. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then I, I ended up, uh, I think, joining the course at Stellenbosch, uh, in February of, uh, like, let's say the beginning of, uh, of that year. And so that's actually how I ended up doing medicine, yeah. I had, in fact, applied for, um, some really obscure things, you know, it was like right. a, like, obscure in the sense that, I mean, you know, you know how it is in our community and the way that when, like, when we grow up as well. Okay, say pass a doctor, mm-hmm. so I that mean, this is must now not unusual. <laughs> uh, so people follow Musnao in their dad's footsteps, etc. And um, uh, so, uh, you know, from 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 my point of view, I wasn't entirely. Um, there was not like a real, shall I say, conviction. So, so when I saying obscure things in the sense that I, I would just, I just applied for whatever was like. You know, okay. What are you doing? You are doing like a BA course, fine. So I applied for BA and BSc. So let me rather put it rather let me rather say instead of obscure, let me rather use the word. Uh, random. It, 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 it was very very random. Yeah. yeah. Or empiric, I would say, from a medical point of okay. view, <laughs> if you'll excuse the medical jargon. Yeah. So very very random. Um. Uh, and so the the whole me like really, absolutely wanting to become a doctor. So I think when I eventually made contact with the discipline and realized, but gee was, this is really something I love and, um, you know, would like to do for the rest of my, my life and not ever do anything else again. You know, I mean, as in like, uh, you know, it would be very, I wouldn't be swayed in any way. I mean, I wasn't like great, really great technically either. So, uh, you know, like the woodwork and, you know, those mm-hmm. drawings and stuff, mm-hmm. that wasn't gonna... Mm-hmm. That's not Razine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, so... um uh, so that's basically how, uh, you know, the, let's say in terms of from a, from a medicine point of yeah. view, it started. And then, um, like all very bright, um, super intelligent people, um, I, um, I ended up failing the first year of medicine dismally. Wow. Yeah, I, I think it's important to mention these failures, you know. Uh, the whole um, question of, I think, the fact that Allah Ta'ala is guarded and, and He alone will determine, you know, that, that direction that, you, that you're going to go into. Uh, and where you find yourself, you know, in situation. I think if a lot of the problems um, for ourselves we cause because of the fact that we don't um, uh, try to shoulder all of those onto Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. You know, we take so much onto ourselves, man. Um, and uh, so inevitably you realise that Allah Taala is Qadir, and you know, we actually just, uh, um, you know, kind of very mediocre. Uh, folk and uh, you know, and if you see, I think yourself in, in in that light. then I think it's difficult for things to actually get you down, to be honest. Mm, but anyway, so um, so so that's uh, in a way kind of uh, uh, you know my philosophy. And so um, in terms of where we now sp- spoke about the fate, and um, us, uh, uh, me um, getting into the uh, into the medical career. By this stage in my life, I had already been half of the Quran, and that's actually why, um, Alhamdulillah um, why um, I, I had the strong, I think, not kind of dislike toward having to go into the university itself, but that would be keeping me away from the kirahai, right? So what
0: age, what age were you? Um,
2: so um, I actually completed reading actually, the, uh, the Quran, uh, I think between the ages of 12 and 13, but I didn't have any formal uh, certification, or uh, shall I say, um, as we would commonly refer to it in, in our um, local community, as Tamatareh, until I had read uh, an entire khatam of the Quran to Sheikh Muhammad Salih Abadi, Allah Yarraham, who is a, uh, you know, an icon in the field of Quran in our community. And I had the, the huge blessing of being in his presence at very regular intervals. It was, however, in the uh, the twilight of his life, unquestionably. Uh, but I say, um, you know, twilight in inverted commas because Sheikh Saleh Allah, uh, In a way, um, uh, personalized and you know, the, the Quran for me, you know, in terms of okay, the the humility that is supposed to be associated with it, um, the respect that it commands, absolutely incredible. And um, as a very young person, these were things which touched me and you know, very deeply, uh, right? And I think um, with it stems a lot, you know, the type, you know, from a caring of patients' point of view. And the whole empathy and, uh, you know, that, um, yeah, I mean, for us, for example, uh, you know, the patients are often an extended family, really, you know, for the practice. Um, and so, uh, as a consequence, it's, it's very difficult if someone's unwell for me to be sleeping properly uh, or if, uh, you know, um, uh, I'm, you know, concerned about the procedure uh, you know, having not necessarily the adverse effect that you would constantly be concerned and um, perhaps ruminating about this for weeks until you see the person. So people don't realize that these, these personal little conflicts that you also have to sit with, but you don't necessarily have, have the chance to be able to share every single one of that. But those are all like additional stasis that you bear. Um, the, the, you know, there is a difference between sympathy and empathy, Uh, in the sense that, I mean, we're supposed to be kind of emotionally uh, unattached, really. Uh, It's a very difficult thing to do, Um, you know. We do want to give everything, uh, you know, to our patients in the sense that um, it is a very noble um, uh, directive, and one considers it an extension of Allah Ta'ala's work, you know, uh, because what you're doing all the time, you are obsessed with trying to preserve Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala's most sophisticated creation, you know. Um uh you know, except to our, uh, when compared to our Prophet yes. if 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 you talk about humanity as a as a, yeah. as a whole. So I mean medicine to me is is that obsession. It's it's I think it's 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 how I feel about that. That's the reason I've been created, you know. Yeah. Um so so people do say uh, that they find I'm very passionate about my work, or if I'm talking about the ECG or so, and uh, and it stems from that kind of you know love for humanity, which which as Muslims, if we don't, I think have that as a point of departure, um, yeah, it's very difficult for for because everything everything that sprouts from Islam is is you know, about, it's about caring and sharing and uh, about humanity and um, any, any um, you know, you're practicing Muslim as that contentment of the fact that, you know, you feel for the next person, person and you're always willing uh, to share. You know, I always tell the children... Think also to yourself that thereby the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes I. you know. So, so point of departure is being, um, shukr is, you know, to to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being the first aspect of everything that we do, guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in everything that, that we do. Um, you know, so, I mean, I think that, um, for, for success and for contentment in your life, um, that Allah ta'ala consciousness has got to be there. Um, and I feel that, you know, if again, if, 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 if that is what is driving you and you're thinking that I'm doing this now and I'm trying to relieve the comfort uh, or at least provide comfort and relieve, um, you know, suffering of a person for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first, um, then it's difficult to make um, a wrong call on behalf of the patient. Yeah, because that's always what we want to do. Always I tell the patient, you pray that the decisions we make are in your best interest uh, and that to create the guide that guides our hands when we work. is. And it's amazing how appreciative patients are of 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 that. You know, um, it's not everyone, yeah. but um, yeah. So um, uh, there's always been, uh, in a way, not a, um, a battle to have to um, balance it, but in terms of the getting the percentages just right between um, the kind of academic. Uh, speaking, proctoring, operating resin, and uh, reciting—you uh, know—and whatever the further sciences of qur'an inshallah, on the other on the other side.
1: I um, I was well. One of my big questions was, I think it's somewhat answered it. Was about um, how. Has your relationship with the Quran and being happy to actually shaped the kind of doctor you are? Yes. Um, but I think you've gone mm-hmm. into that.
2: Yeah, I will. I thought it was an important aspect of my personality yes. um, to have to bring to the fore because I think that immediately kind of puts you into the uh, picture and gives one kind of perspective in terms of okay, mm-hmm. fine, that's now the you know the, shall I say the, the the tenets on which my life is based, and yes. now everything mm-hmm. else will kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know,
0: filter so from there. Yeah. So I have a series of questions. So the first one, yes, so you failed... A series of questions. <laughs> so, you part. <laughs> so, uh, so, okay. so you failed the first year. What did you learn so from that? I knew, I knew we were going <laughs> to come back to that. No, failure is
2: important. So it's such an important part of our lives, you know, um, because um, having to come, uh, you know, and to confront um, adversity of any form um, uh, is it's extremely from what I uh, can see insightful and character building. Um, and uh, you must, I think, uh, uh, you must taste failure, I think, at some point in whatever you do to be able to appreciate the success of it. Um, and so, yeah, the, the first year was a bit of a, was a bit of a dismal year. Um, I, I had some, you know, the odd kind of um, health issue as well, to be, to be frank. Um, uh, there was this whole question as to whether I had something which was called, uh, commonly referred to before as a condition which is called my, myalgic encephalitis, or, or ME. Um, and then the typical term which was used at the time was yapiflu. Yeah. So I, I, there was a question as to whether I picked up some viral infection in like my final year, which had kind of, you know, dragged on. Uh, etc. So I'm not trying to make an excuse. Um, the, I mean, I uh, mean the failure. I think it was in biostatistics or so. But I, I did tell you right from the word go, i was never going to be the. I, was never, I, I can I can certainly implant the device, but I'm never going to be the guy that probably invents the device or has the necessary uh, kind of technical know-how uh, from an IT point of view to be able to understand those circuits, etc. Well, I suppose Allah Taala opens your mind. I understand the circuitry of the heart. Uh, you know, we say inshallah because yes. we always know that yes. what we do know and the available knowledge is often, uh, you know, a very small percentage of what, you know, what the real thing is. But, you know, obviously it's a dynamic thing and, uh, and you're, uh, you're, uh, you're, uh, you're learning all the time. So um, uh, I think uh, the, the, um, the question um, that she asked was, you know, in terms of the basis mm-hmm. of that. Um, from a failure point of view, um, the, the aspects that I've learned and that I found um, uh, most um, kind of enriching was that when I did eventually get to my second year, you know, I thought to myself, but, you know, I I wouldn't actually like to, to go through that again. Um, the other thing about it is that the first year was extremely uh, theoretical. So it was like tons and tons of physiology and anatomy. So all well, the anatomy is three-dimensional d- d- and, you know, and now that I, um, uh, you know, that you're, you're actually... Working with the human body on a daily basis and interacting with it, um, you know, it goes back to how actually important, though, you know, the physiology and the anatomy is because it is the basis of anything that you do in medicine, any field you do in medicine, for the physiology and the anatomy, in other words, the relationship between structure and form of which the human body is the most beautiful example. Um, uh, regardless of what, you know, uh, um, amazing monuments and uh, structures and things that we've seen from an architectural point of view or from a, um, you know, I, it, it, yeah, I mean, there the, is just nothing to compare with, uh, with, with uh, the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us. Anyways, I, I digress because, um, I just took, to keep it short, uh, um, the points regarding the, the failure certainly was that I appreciated the second year. Uh, the point that I wanted to make is the first year was kind of very, uh, it, from my point of view, it was you know, it wasn't something which I was able to digest very easily. Yeah. The moment I started doing clinical medicine and I started interacting with patients, it was an entirely, entirely different thing. Yeah. So, because I don't want to just yeah. run myself down in the fact that I yeah. failed the first year, mm-hmm. I certainly passed the, every year after that. Including the, you know, my medicine year and mm-hmm. when I qualified as a specialist. So with distinction, Alhamdulillah, with honors. In the sense that, you know, um, I, I could balance out the fact yeah. that there was that, um, but, but it was failure, I think, that was an excellent launch pad mm-hmm. for, inshallah, what I see as the successes which, um, you know, which followed it. So I believe that that failure, in my first year was an, was a very important the fast catalyst. of my life. Yeah. Unquestionably a catalyst. He's got all the right words all the time, <laughs> which is really good, good to have him. to yes. have around because, you know, <laughs> every time I just wait for him to plant, you know, to plant me kind of stuff. Okay. So, okay.
1: Yeah. Yes. actually, I, mm. so I wanted to know um, if you could explain exactly what you use, so the specialization. Yes. What you do. Yeah. yeah.
0: Before we go there, okay. I did not know. So you graduated now. So you've yeah. finished you, your GP now, right? So, so now, how do you like, did, did you know it when it's specialized? Okay, fine.
2: So that's actually, um, so I'm, um, I, I, after I'd done my studies in, uh, medicine mm-hmm. as a, as a, so then to qualify as, as you mentioned, a general practitioner. So then we would normally go on to do our houseman year, right? Yes. And the housemanship would proceed. So the normal ways you, you do your house job, you mm-hmm. come back mm-hmm. to k- Cape Town from wherever you were, you open a general it practitioner is, yes, yes. practice and, oh. you know, you kind of crack on. Uh, that was kind of a very standard way. That's yes. exactly yes. how my, how my, mm-hmm. how my, uh, you know, how my dad had done it as well. I had definitely developed an affinity. So the medical, uh, shall I say, um, syllabus is really divided up into two, two huge disciplines, medical disciplines and surgical disciplines, of which, um, let's say general surgery, would, a general surgeon you go to for, they're going to have something removed from your liver, for example, right? Uh, now, but now you, you get people who are more specialized or just doing liver surgery. It's the biliary surgeon, for example. Uh, but that then, then that person has become more, 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 more and more specialized. But uh, let's say for the most part, uh you have the medical disciplines and the surgical disciplines so i realized fairly really early on it wasn't going to be the surgical disciplines for me uh i'm not sure if it was the obvious that put me off uh but that was one of the that was one of the surgical disciplines so then there was obviously uh um, the medical disciplines um and uh, and and those would be um uh, the majority of which is kind of uh, all encompassed by a term called internal medicine. But internal medicine would be the medical conditions affecting your, um, uh, you know, whichever organ. So, for example, you had a, a blood-borne disease um, or an infectious problem that would fall under internal medicine. So, you would be doing, at some point in time, some exposure to infectious diseases. You had a problem with your with your heart. So, as an internal medicine or an internist or a physician, as we would normally refer uh, to, um, uh, you you would basically um, have some better command over the organ systems, but not necessarily as specialized in cardio. You would have exposure in cardiology, exposure in respiratory medicine, infectious diseases, as I mentioned. Um, and so the medical disciplines um, certainly had attracted me. So um, but the first thing you had to do generally is before you could decide on which of those disciplines would be, you would have to qualify as a general internist. Which is a general physician. So that was the following qualification. I was very fortunate because I had, um, um, I had, I had very, very good results in my final year, as I mentioned. And I, I mentioned for specific reason in the sense that, um, already after my internship, I'd, I'd had, I was fortunate enough to have a registrar job. In um, in internal medicine, so there was actually no wastage of time in the sense that I not well, not wastage of time, but um, I had to, for example, hang around uh, doing um, you know working as a medical officer or senior house officer, as we are commonly uh, as we are commonly referred to, um, and wait for a, a specialist uh, training post to become available, a registrarship, in other words, um, and that was available immediately, um, and uh, there were people who had earmarked. Or uh, in the sense that uh, identified while I was um, while I was uh, studying, and they said, "Oh, you, you'd probably be a good physician," you know, as a student, you know, you, you should consider that, etc. But I mean, I had a feeling I thought that this 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 could work for me. I find the whole uh, kind of diagnostician bits of it, and being a sleuth and trying to get to the problem, uh, you know, I found it really um fascinating and extremely stimulating, as I still do today, because that's really what electrophysiology is. There's a lot of sleuthing that goes around. And the the answers are in the body, but it's how you can tease those answers out of the body to get to get to the problem, and then try and unravel the problem. So everything about it makes mm. absolute sense, you know. Um, uh, it's a very exact science, you know, very number orientated, not technical again from from that point of view. Um, uh, and so during uh, the time now that I did my my internal medicine rotation, is when I realized that I probably would want to do cardiology. And, uh, you know, while I was training in cardiology, it is then that I realized that there are a few t- segments or disciplines of cardiology. Like you have cardiac imaging. People will look at cardiac CTs and cardiac MRIs and, and, and echocardiograms, which is all kind of a huge special, specialization in imaging, just, you know, um, cause the heart just lends itself to all of these additional investigations perfectly. Um, and so, um, then you have, um, Aside for the cardiac imaging, you also have what's referred to as interventional cardiology. So those are generally the doctors who would put the stents into blocked narrowings, etc. Uh, and then the other big discipline that cardiologists divide up is electrophysiology. So after internal medicine, I was, I was uh, kind of uh, leo to cardiology, I absolutely loved, uh, you know, the heart. And for me, it was also like, um, you know, uh, the, you know, the heart is that seat of emotion that we're referring to. And it would be where we would be kind of in visual, kind of in, you know, the feeling where the Quran would be. And, you know, you know so for me, there was this then attachment between the heart being this kind of organ and pump sustaining life, uh, with, you know, bl- uh, blood coursing through the veins. Uh, And at the same time, um, you know, to have the um, uh, um, analogous to that, you know, the Quran, uh, you know. So always there'd be be this comparison for me between the heart and the Quran and the different kind of emotions of the heart and the different emotions of the Quran, etc. But in any case, so I'm still, I'm still trotting that dual pathway, um, which I mentioned right at the beginning, just to try to give you, so you a little were, bit, a little bit more perspective. So you're super super specialist. Yeah. So they they would regard that as super specialization now. You yeah, get super fine. super specialist now. Yeah. Yeah. You do. You, you do. do. Wow. You do. You do. Wow. Because there are people now. You must remember in electrophysiology we get. Uh, rhythm disturbances of maybe the atrium uh, and uh, which are the top filling chambers and the rhythm disturbances of the of the bottom chambers which are the ventricles um, and some people don't treat um, both rhythms and so some people would say no listen I'm only going to treat Rhythm disturbances coming from the lower chamber. Wow! Yeah, and and so when you go abroad and you have the facilities and the resources where you have this degree of specialization, it's incredible to see. You know that that team they treat only the, the ventricular tachycardias, which are uh, very dangerous rhythms coming from the lower chambers, whereas uh, you know um, those guys only treat atrial fibrillation, which is an extremely common uh, arrhythmia found in the human being. Um, and uh, so it's incredible, you know, that and then you can have within electrophysiology people who are doing um only devices yeah so as general electro general electrophysiologists we would be performing most of those uh you know we would be we would be offering people uh devices to try and improve their cardiac function devices to try and prevent them from dying suddenly um and then we would also do uh, procedures within the heart which are called um uh, ablations uh, where we use either intense thermal or cold energy to try and disturb circuitry which is defective um you know, and uh yeah, I mean so obviously we're working within a very, very small confined space and and uh, you know, there are various circuits which interact with one another. Uh and you um you are able to unquestionably knock out um, some, uh, you know, unintentionally, which may lead to, you know, all kinds of issues. So, uh, there is a certain amount of precision and exactness, you know, obviously required because um, they're very strategic points that we, um, that we go to. Um, I, am kind of going and delving into a little bit of, of electrophysiology already. Um, but, um, to tie up with Aisha's, um, you know, question in the sense of, um, uh, of what I do, um, that the heart is, is itself, let's regard it as a pump, right? Um, and it's greedy in the sense that the first organ that the heart pumps blood to is itself again. Okay. So, in other words, if you were to go to what is the first supply, um, uh, the organ that the heart will supply with blood and the first organ is itself, extremely obviously oxygen dependent, uh, um, organ like the brain is because, um, there's, there's a very, very high, um, obviously rate of metabolism and uh, the heart is, is, um, using uh, energy all the time to be able to consistently continue with this pumping that, you know, as you're aware, is the the first sign of life. Uh, you know, sometimes, um, you know, uh, our um, kind of, uh, you know, women, folk, alhamdulillah, are not even sure whether they've uh, missed their second round of menses and the gynecologist puts the probe down and all that he sees is the fetal heartbeat, nothing else. Um, so it, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's really phenomenal that this pump, you know, is is the first sign of life. And, um, well, depending on, obviously, how one uh, exits the dunya, uh may also be the last, obviously, still sign that there is some form of life, which is where you get this whole term of kind of, you know, you can have brain death where uh, you're regarded as um, dead from a brain point of view that you are no longer able to perceive any longer, that it's just... Uh, um, uh you know a shell with uh, kind of organs which are only going to be going on for so long as we have like for example machines um uh, you know attached to it um but you know uh, it's amazing that despite that that you know that brandy, the organs themselves can, um, still be perfused or receive blood to the point where they can, you know, be used mm-hmm. to um, continue and further the the life of a of another person. You know, mm-hmm. so um, uh, yeah. So I saw this analogy for me for Quran and for um, uh, the heart itself um, um, has 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 um, always been a very interesting one. Uh, my reading and looking into Quranic sciences and the relationship between. Obviously, you know the heart now—not medicine, but heart and Quran. Because I mean, there's actually there's quite a lot that you can that you can find in that regard. You'll be um, one will be one is um, uh, one one will be quite surprised. In order for uh, this heart that we've spoken about, it first provides itself with blood, so it needs needs blood vessels. That's one segment of stuff that can be treated. Again, let's say, more by the plumbing team, um, and on the other hand, it also needs a seamless flow of electrical activity throughout all the time. There is electricity, microseconds of little sparks which are actually making the heart beat every, you know, so um, regularly, whatever, 70 beats per minute and um, with pumping so much blood out per second, etc. But, so you can have great blood vessels but you can have, have a bad nervous system of the heart which doesn't allow the heart to contract synchronously. And so, as a consequence, you may be very ill or you may die from that. It's as as important as having that blood flow. And so that muscle is dependent on often those two very things, the blood flow and the nerve supply to the heart. And what electrophysiologists do is that they treat diseases which involve that electrical system of the heart. So you've got to have this continuous seamless flow of electricity making the heart beat. And so sometimes it kind of, the circuitry goes uh, you know, I'm out of whack. You, you've got um, the top chambers beating um, not synchronously with the bottom chambers, or the bottom chambers beating much too rapidly, um, such that they're beating so quickly they don't have time to fill. And as a consequence, you lose your blood pressure, and as a consequence of that, you lose you lose consciousness. So often people get diagnosed with blackouts, and you know they think it's a simple fainting spell, but actually. If you take it all the way back, the heart, for example, was the, the underlying cause. So, so blackouts, for example, in, in cardiology, a very sinister symptom. We always try to try and identify the cause, especially a true blackout. I mean, you know, there's so many of us walking around and, you know, I think we're blacked out most mm-hmm. of the time. And, but I mean, one way you, you you've now lost consciousness without requiring additional, you know, kind of support to have to, uh, to have woken up again. But, um, so that's one of the symptoms of diseases of the, uh, the nervous system of the heart and so um, the way that we do this is we know that the nerves run in a very specific fashion and we know the direction in which the impulses it's all this electricity we can look at the flow of the electricity in the heart um, we can see the direction it's taking and perhaps it's going not in, instead of going only in one direction it's not only going from the from the um, the top to the bottom, but it's also going back from the, from the bottom to the top. So we're able to determine this by studying the electricity of the heart. And when you have a situation where you have a circuit which can actually turn between two sets of nerves, we call that a re-entrant rhythm. Um, and uh, this is the commonest basis for which a palpitation will exist. So a palpitation will exist because electricity went down one limb and was able to find another limb and so complete the circuit. Um, And so the palpitation is classically manifested by a very rapid um, kind of heart rate. But you also have the heart having extra beats where you can feel them. Um, And so a run of that would be a palpitation. Um, And some of them would be regarded as missed beats or extra beats, etc. And so diseases of the nervous system in the top chambers, diseases of the nervous system in the lower chambers, and this can be diseases within the heart muscle itself, Outside of the heart muscle or inside of the heart muscle, so it becomes you know um, a little bit more uh, more complex. But for the most part, um, I'll give you a, uh, I'll give you um, just a, a, an example that you can compare with, and I'll keep it short for time's sake. That you've had a heart attack, okay? And the heart attack happened because the blood supply to that area of muscle was impaired, and so as a consequence, that area of muscle is injured. It forms scar. But now you've got scar, and next to it you've got tissue which is completely normal. And so you've got tissues which have got different conduction velocities. And this is able to, to set up a re rhythm. I'm able to, uh, by way of whatever technology we are using, identify where the scar is uh, inside of the heart. And often what happens is within the scar you have islets of living cells which serve as sparks of electricity. And so what we would do is we would find out where the scar is, we'd either encircle it by way of thermal energy, um, or we would, uh, for example, try and destroy the scar. We call it a marginization. Um, and so what happened is the heart attack led to the rhythm disturbed, the scar, the scar formation wasn't completely scar. So, um, you know, the way that we heal, mm. uh, portions of the muscle are, are damaged. Another, another portion is healthy. You know, it's not like you've got a nice, cleanly cut square. Heart. Okay. That's where you had your heart attacks. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's a, um, it's a, it's an irregular, um, shape. There's no, um, and so the, the, the whole idea is now you identify where this area of hyper irritability comes from, and sometimes, often this these particular rhythms coming from the lower chambers can can cause the patient to uh, to die suddenly. And that's, uh, for example, uh, recently we've been in the news because of you know defibrillators etc., which have been launched, which have been the devices which have been around for a long time. Uh, but can save your life in the sense that you've got someone <coughs> sitting on your chest with a pair of paddles <coughs> for the rest of your life. Now, it's not something ideally that we want you to have, but sometimes we are not able to control the rhythm disturbance in such a way that if someone doesn't get to you in time, you will die from the rhythm disturbance. And so now the device becomes a necessity, especially, for example, if you've had a cardiac arrest uh, and you've survived it. So we know that the most likely cause are these rhythm disturbances, so we need to protect you with the device. It's what we would call a class one indication, an aborted um, cardiac arrest. Um, and so um, there you've now seen different facets of the work. On the one hand, I can actually try and identify the scar, destroy the scar in the heart. On the other hand, I can also protect you from the disturbance by placing a device which is monitoring the heart all the time. So I'll give you just those as... Inside. Uh, in, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, inside, yes, yeah. Because we need to know what's happening inside of the heart muscle to be able to know what, um, you know, what the signals and what the electricity is doing. You can't tell that from the only thing you can get from the outside is an ECG. But I need what's called the intracardiac EGMs. I need to know wow. what the signal and yes. the electricity looks like with inside the heart muscle. Wow. Alhamdulillah. I'm as slow as I It's actually a really amazing. Show. Easy. I have a question.
1: Yes? Before surgery, do you have like a a mantra <laughs> yeah, a mantra work, what do you do before you actually okay to a picture
2: yeah. of today yes. I mean, what do you mm. what is your no purpose? I mean I'm, I'm always asking Allah Ta'ala to, to guide my hands to um, ensure that I'm making decisions for the patient and only for the patient um and, uh, um, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't say I have, uh, my mantra is been rahman Of course. You know, I mean, t- I, t- uh, so I'm not like going into this, like, okay, fine, the now in, uh, you know what I'm saying, this is now his moment of zen. Yeah, and no, because, yeah. you, I mean, you know, obviously, you just need to watch enough yeah. TV to know that this okay. happens, you know. Yes, yes. And so, like, I'm going I into I like
1: just a, a. line from Grey's Anatomy now. <laughs> Oh, is <isn't laughs> it? Well, there you go. Uh,
2: um, I, I, I avoid, um, any medical programs mm. uh, like the plague. I mean, I, the last thing I can handle is to watch mm. medicine on TV. Yeah, yeah, No, yeah. and it's amazing because beforehand, I was like, you know, when the whole ER mm. thing started, yeah, I was yeah. really into it, you know. Yeah. And then I think medicine, uh, in a way, um, uh, I wouldn't say, I mean, yeah, I, I, I speak. speak. Um, it, yeah, well, it. you know, it's not consumed my life. Um, but I suppose my family will say it certainly does play a very big part. Um, you know in my life and, and it does you know but, but but for the reasons that I've mentioned yes. yes
1: and on that how do you actually maintain a balance between everything else and me
2: yeah so uh, it is a bit uh, you know it is a bit uh, apathetic. Um the balance I think comes from the fact that I have an extremely um, supportive uh, family mm-hmm. uh, and that from a, again we come back to that you know, uh, you know that structure you know mm-hmm. that I'm um, so blessed to have uh, from, our, for, from our parents and I'm sure we all are um, and so um, uh, the balance is made possible uh, by the fact that um, I have, um, well, both of my mothers are still alive, alhamdulillah, and Thank they God. are, um, you know, um, very um, uh, kind of precious to us. And uh, so we have the barakah of of having uh, them around. Um, uh, Hafidah is, has been a... Uh, you know um, a kind of most supportive and understanding wife and I think without that it, it, it certainly uh, you know so I go back to the parents I go back to my wife and then um yeah I've really I'm um, kind of uh, understanding children as well you know because they also need time with uh, their parents like like mm. we all do or would have wanted to have or do have um, and it's not uh, kind of always possible yeah but I think that um, uh, from a young age that kind of become accustomed to the fact that, you know, there is a lot of uh, time which is um, also, um, uh, uh, you know, in a way, usurped up by kind of community-oriented activities. So, you know, if it's not a, a, a dhikr or, mm. or a nikah, maybe I'm talking about, especially before, you know, in terms of reciting. And then, um, there's the Khatam quran Jama'ah of Sheikh Salih Abari, which, alhamdulillah, is still existing. And I believe he's, he's commemorating the fifth, 50th, 50th anniversary this year. 50th, sure. it's incredible, alhamdulillah. Mm. It's a barakah of the Sheikh, you know, mm. uh, Allah Ta'ala grant him, uh, Ameen. uh, al- al-fira, 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 al-fira. inshallah. So, um, uh, uh, so, so in terms of that, I, I think uh, uh, all the, the support structure um, uh, um, uh, they certainly make it possible. And I mean, I mean, I obviously have a, have a brother, sister, sister-in-law, brother-in-law, and so on. And I, I think together they've they've all made it easier mm-hmm. for me because I um, I have traveled very extensively, but it's it's a bit less now yeah. um, because I've felt that I've not really been doing justice, you know. in... Um, to the family, you know, from that point of view. So, uh, so these commitments have become considerably less over time. Um, and, uh, I mean, I, I do still occasionally recite with the Khatam jamaah so it's a huge privilege to be able to just sit and uh, and read with, uh, with the shuyuk. Um And they've, you know, they're always so kind of, uh, you know, warm and, and welcoming, as people of Qur'an should be. Uh, well, any Muslim, I, I, would, I would support. But, I mean, in particular, um, then... Um, um, uh, the, the, so I would mentioned that the teaching, etc., and, and those things have, have become less. Um, I have uh, escalated, though, um, my studies uh, from Quranic science point of view. And I was fortunate that, um, you know, my um, Ustaz, both Shibzman Lant and Mona Nasalim Gabe have also been extremely understanding um, and very, very supportive, you know, over the 25 years, practically, that I've been reading, you know, uh, so, um, they also, you know, understand the, um, you know, the, the, from the complexities point of view and, um, the, from that understanding, um, you know. So much. Uh, there's been so much inspira- inspiration uh, uh, and encouragement. So, so uh, yes, I continue on a weekly basis still with the Qur'an. I'm, I'm trying to complete the um, the the Ashar Qur'an at the moment, which is basically completing the um, shall I say the ten commonly read uh, ones. And mm-hmm. we're uh, about uh, with Allah Taala's Kudra mm-hmm. about three quarter ways there. Mm-hmm. So uh, keep keep uh, I keep pursuing you know, the So I'm going to
0: ask you by. a very unfair question. Yes. <laughs> so what is you what are one of your favorite Quranic verses?
2: Yeah, you know, it, 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 it's, it's in a way it's something that I do kind of, uh, you know, get asked not that infrequently. Um, I wouldn't say it's very, very difficult for me to commit to a favorite. And that's why I completely concur with the fact that it is an unfair question. <laughs> the, there are so many different aspects to the Qur'an, which we are still continuing to evolve and understand um, that um, I, I, it would be very difficult for me mm. to, uh, to you know, yeah, yeah, I when mean, we they, what, if, you, if you were, I mean, when we left and we, were, we ever went um, uh, and, and left the presence of Sheikh Saliha, especially if there was a group, mm. then we always had to decide together, wal asr, yeah, by the token yes, of time, yes. And um, Sheikh Salih always used to say, um, "I'm not really entirely sure if it's a hadith, so I don't want to be quoted on this mm-hmm. right now." Um, uh, I speak under correction. I'm, I'm no uh, kind of a, like um, kind of a Sheikh type of a person. Mm. <laughs> um, so, um, uh, but he always used to say that um, if Allah Subhanahu wa Taala had only sent down mm-hmm. the Surah mm-hmm. of al Asr. Then it would have not been necessary for him to have sent the rest of the Quran. So it again something that stuck with me, man. And uh, so when I'm asked that question, I I tend to, you know, give it yeah. back, back back to Alaska. Mm. Except yeah. for those, you know, uh, who believe, uh, who um commend to do good deeds, um uh, you know, who uh, encourage and uh, gender, the truth, what uh, the was, so be happy, what the was, so be suffer, and patience, you know what I mean? So, you know, in a way, it should, um, be, a, almost half a skeleton or a carcass, I think, for the life of a Muslim. Um, you know, if you, again, uh, yeah, I think if, if that's your starting point.
0: Good. Do you have any mentors? Mentors? Mm. Uh, well, my mentor
2: certainly would be um, all the teachers that I've had. Um, I'm currently still that, that they remain, um, uh, I, you know, I'm still fortunate to continue reading at the, uh, you know, at the blessed feet of Sheikh Ismail Lant and wal Ibn I mean, people who have done such amazing work in the community in um, bringing the science of Quran to us, you know, um, so maybe on a slightly uh, more in-depth level than what we had um necessarily been all been fortunate enough to be exposed to in the, in the, in the uh, to be fortunate enough to, ex, to be exposed to in the past um, on the medical side um, so on the medical side and they are also two um, and so uh, when I trained in Belgium I trained under um, a, uh, a gentleman by the name of Professor uh, um, uh, uh, Heidbuchel Hein Heidbuchel right so he was he was Belgian uh, and he was um, also a, a, a prodigy of one of the fathers of electrophysiology. So, so the way that he actually studied and interpreted electrocardiograms, those intracardiac ECGs e- 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 e that we were speaking about earlier, the internal ECG of the heart, um, was really a fascinating science for me, you know, um, and, and I think it's, it's, it's very, very, um, uh, likely that I will not meet such a bright person in my life again. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah he, uh, Heinrich was—he is incredibly, uh, uh, you know, brilliant, and I think it was—it was a very good teacher to me. Uh, and so after um, uh, getting my mind shaped, I needed to get my hand shaped, um, and so I ended up uh, going to London and there working with Professor uh, Richard Schilling, who is now the, um, the in fact the head or the chairperson of the British Cardiac Society, which is extremely. Mm-hmm um prestigious position to hold, you know. In fact, now that I may think about it, Hein Heidbuchel is uh, the president of the European Heart Rhythm Association. Also an extremely, I mean, mm-hmm. really top electrophysiology jobs in the world. And now on the one hand I'm talking about uh, people, are, you know, uh, as gifted as, as Sheikh Ismail, I'm talking about having the great opportunity to speak to people where clearly they um, are leaders within the field. And, and so, I mean, I mean, I can only say, Alhamdulillah, I mean, you know, I mean, in every possible way, uh, you know, I see my, my life just to, you know, to be blessed and guided
0: by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, we ran out of time. Um, So, we actually got a question. Yes, go ahead, go
1: So, a question this is definitely from a doctor. (laughs) Okay, yes. Yes. Um, So, in 2016, when you implanted the first subcutaneous shock device in a a patient in Africa, did you know the far reaching consequences that that would have had for cardiology in the country? Um, and then there's a second question to that.
2: Okay, uh, far-reaching consequences in the sense that I've just come from New York, um, where I attended the uh, clinic, um, uh, the Mayo Clinic, which is a very um, kind of prestigious medical school in the world, um, uh, in particular in cardiology. Uh, they're based in obviously in Minnesota, um, and so um, uh, uh, far-reaching consequences certainly in the sense that uh, you know they are they are. The manner the mani- in which we are implanting devices in patients is evolving. And it's evolving, you know, at a very kind of, uh, you know, it's, an, it's a very exciting time of our lives because, you know, everything in medicine, um, the rest of technology, if you think about it, is based on us trying to, um, to miniaturize. You, know, you understand? So, if you think about the initial size of a cell phone, for example. And uh, now you don't obviously, you know, you just put your, your kind of, your, can put your watch to your ear. Um, so if you just look at that kind of uh, difference in the change in, in, in technology. And so we would start off with placing defibrillators um, uh, as well as uh, pacemakers into patients where, where these devices were very, very big. Um, and so over time, these have Become much smaller. So, first of all, we also have longer lasting batteries in these newer, smaller devices. So, you've got a fully functional device which is very small, which lasts long, which means we have to intervene on the patient much less. So, less discomfort to the patient, less cost involved, etc. Because the battery life is so longer. I mean, we know that because mm-hmm. the, you know, if you look at the battery life of whichever microphone now compared to what we started off with, then basically you were kind of attached to the charger mm-hmm. almost in a way. So, um, uh so miniaturization is important and the, the the question specifically leads to the fact that w- there is um uh the subcutaneous in- implantable cardioverter defibrillator has set um the the standard for what we are aiming for which is that we would either like to place these devices and not have leads attached to them or ideally in this particular case the lead system themselves do not lie within the venous system of the heart they actually lie on the outside of the heart. And as long as we can remain outside of the heart with as little wiring as possible, we're talking about the implantation of devices now. Uh, the wires and stuff that we use while we're doing the procedures, these are just temporary things. They're not left behind. Well, they're not intentionally left behind. This is that. So, so, okay, fine. That was, that was kind of a joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway... Um, we have pacemakers now that we can implant as a capsule or a microcapsule inside of the heart muscle, embedded inside of the heart muscle. And so the point of this of me being at this whole meeting is mm-hmm. that um so when I got back now on um on the weekend, alhamdulillah so they, they um were talking about that we're not able to only implant uh, an electrode now within the lower chamber. That we're also going to very soon, because they're giving us the updates on the technology, mm. be able to implant the electrode within the upper chamber as well, which is extremely challenging because this chamber, Allah Taala, has actually created in such a way that it is paper thin. So I'm I'm quite. Interested to know how they are going to attach it. Mm-hmm. You said lower chamber is quite muscular, right? And so for me to attach a tiny little hook over there, um, you know, which is stimulating the heart, yeah, you can put three, four, five, six of them. The heart is enough to tolerate, to tolerate that. But to actually have the synchronicity of the heart, yeah, and this is where Allah Ta'ala's majesty comes in, where the two chambers are actually talking to one another, but to the T, you know, absolutely, um, to, you know, program to, um, to, to a millisecond you know, for that to, to be able, for that heartbeat to be actually regarded as a normal heartbeat, that we're now going to be able to place these chips in the upper chambers as well. And so they're talking about some Bluetooth connection between the upper chamber and the lower chamber. And now I can understand why so much of the focus in electrophysiology is also on artificial intelligence. Because there's no question about it, the moment these things are going to become Wi-Fi compatible, which is the way everything else is going, mm-hmm. then it does mean that I'm going to be able to hack um, Halil, Spacemaker as they were doing or what they're suggesting they're yeah. doing with, with MH370 or the Malaysian plane that was downed. Mm. You know, because the technology is available for you to be able to do that, to steer that plane where you mm. want to take it. Mm. Um, and it's uh, basically the uh, the same now. So if you, uh, to think about a world where we don't even have to, plat- to place leads into patients anymore, where we can have just a little um, electrode, where we are able to just put that in a little spot in the heart, it's not connected with the atmosphere at all because that's a big problem. Pacemakers are, have leads attached to them. If this pacemaker becomes infected, it means the infection is basically within the system which means it's gone all the way down the leads into your heart. So devices are put in with lots of thought behind it because that indwelling device can be um, obviously a life saving uh, device but at the same time it can also be a life ending, let alone changing device. So, um, the indications for devices are very, very, are very important. But the point is that we'll probably be able to, um, to not have to deal with such significant problems associated with devices if we can just eliminate the leads. Because that lead connects you to the atmosphere in the end. You're exposed to the atmosphere. Whereas here you've got something which is embedded within the heart muscle. It's endothelialized and then covered by your own lining, which has then become, you know, a part of you. Okay. Um, there's one tiny little downside to it, and that is that uh, you can well imagine that if you have a little microchip attached to the heart muscle, and it's doing this at whatever 70, 80, 90 time beats per minute, to snare that and get it out of the heart muscle for whatever reason you need to is not the easiest thing to do at all. Yeah, because it's like really trying to get a little bite on this moving target. And um, so... In terms of where the technology, that that is a constraint is is actually removing the device, yeah. If if it needs to come mm. out, whatever it is, but that's just the whole thing without the leads. We think the need for it to come out, and the the the, the data is so promising at the moment. So I see a world where we are currently in this phase of um, uh, essentially moving over from a lead-based pulse generators to a leadless technology and we are seeing that happening within our lifetime unquestionably at the rate that is. So the field is extremely dynamic and exciting.
0: Fascinating. Any questions?
1: Um an inspiration that I had on young Muslim medical students who read it at the time and were inspired to further their careers in both improving primary health care okay, as I'm well little, uh, as uh, Yes, no, but that's
2: that, That's what we do. And I mean, the exposure and so forth that, that we look for, for example, in the work that Cape Town Atrial Fibrillation Centre does, we try to, um, you know, remain as academic as possible. And I think unquestionably we are regarded as, as, a you know, a centre of excellence in the emerging market regions, not only within the African continent. So... Um, uh, you know, to get this kind of feedback and that it's inspirational to the youth and to medical students here, because we need so many more electrophysiologists, mm. even cardiologists. There's a massive uh, supply-demand, uh, you know, mismatch that and, and, and void that needs to be filled. So if any way that, you know, we can we can serve as uh, an inspiration for people to continue doing this and doing, uh, you know, the Dawah for Allah Ta'ala's sake, then... Um, I think, Alhamdulillah, some form of legacy can then be, sure. uh, you know, can then be left, and uh, hopefully we can meet him sure. with, uh, with just with our virtues intact, you sure. know. Do you
1: have any questions?
0: What does what does success mean? I was going to ask that question.
2: <laughs> success. Yes. Yeah. Success can obviously be measured uh, and quantified and described in a number of ways, uh, but the best way that I can think of uh, success is that. Um, which has provided you with, um, uh, you know, uh, almost in a way, s- a sublime sense of contentment and fulfillment, you know. Yeah. Um, I think that is that would be my definition uh, of success.
0: I think, especially in today's times, I think we, we, we as a community have sort of a superficial relationship with the Quran. Yes. I'm not saying we, like majority, yeah. but some yeah. of us. You know. And so do you have any advice in terms of that as well? Because yeah. you're so close. The Quran is alive,
2: you know, and you've got to feel that connection with it. And um, because it is Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala's speech, it's very difficult for you not to get that connection. Yeah? It, it is divine in the sense that um, it is the only attribute of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la that we have direct contact with. I can't see Allah's eyes. Uh, I can't touch Allah's hands. And I mean, only Allah Ta'ala knows about this form and this touch. I'm just speaking hypothetically about the eyes and the hands now. But what we can do is, we can listen to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala's speech. We can also communicate that speech and we can feel the emotion that goes with that speech. So, um, lessons um, from the Qur'an is that the Qur'an is very much alive. And the Qur'an is, um, uh, you know, has forecast what will happen and has told us about what has happened in the future. Uh, and it certainly still will continue for forecasting what we will continue to see happening in the future because um, it is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, there's a beautiful hadith uh, with regards Qur'an, and maybe it, it in a way sums up what I've learned about the Qur'an. They say that trying to, uh, to compare Qur'an I think it was narrated by Abu Sa'id al-Qudri, if I'm not mistaken. Um, trying to compare Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's Quran or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's speech with any other written document, scroll, book, palm, leaf, pouch, animal skin, you name it. Trying to compare the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with anything else. Is almost like trying to compare Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala with any other creation. Yeah. So um, the Quran teaches you the you know obviously um, the, you know the patience obviously has got all the codes and the portfolio and the formula of how for us to you know lead our lives. Um, and so uh, from the point from the point of view, I don't want to make it too heavy as in Jay would know half it this and you have to go and study Qaraat and you know got to be this big sheikh. What I'm asking for is you have to start with a minimum of taking up das and going to read two or three ayat. Okay? Because there is in the which with a book of rhyming couplets of codes, thousands of verses contained within it all the changes that are made when we're diff- reading for the different reciters, because that's really what Qur'an is. It is a preservation of what the Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa received from Jibril alayhi sallam. So yes, we said we learned 10 and 14 and so on. We have had no idea exactly how much was in fact revealed. But the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would then say to the, to the Sahabis, listen, it is better to recite it in this particular way because it's closer to the way that you're speaking, for example. So naturally if it's closer to your dialect, the sounds which you know, they are a or a or a uh, that these sounds would have been easier for people to then articulate and to pronounce. And so what the science of qiraat is is the preservation of all these different ways that the Quran was in fact communicated to Rasulullah mm-hmm. and then from there to the, um, to the to the teachers, to the teachers of Quran. So, and this preservation is important. Again, you know, you people who are spending their entire lives committed to this, uh, to this uh, preservation. So, so taking wudu and sitting and reading the Quran, because you mo- the more you read the Quran, the more enjoyable it becomes to you. And only then do you start to feel that peace and contentment and relaxation and placing yourself over to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when you read the Quran by reading it regularly. Yeah, because you'll find automatically that you don't understand the words. Uh, and you may not have the initial feelings or so. But I am challenging. I'm, I'm placing a challenge to everyone who is now kind of listening. Just, just make the Quran a part of your life. And um, you will um, reap the, the, the benefits. Inshallah. Inshallah. Dr.
0: Hafiz... Razin, Kopal, Shukran so much. Shukran, Kupal. Kupal. to you. It's been uh, it such it?
2: an absolute privilege for me, and uh, um, yeah, very, very enjoyable chat. I hope we didn't get too technical, man. No, I funny. get um, I get run down in a big way by the family if I did. So, if, <laughs> so I, apo- I, I apologize sincerely yeah. if if at some point in time it became too technical. I
1: just also um, wanted to add to Honil's final um, is that. We've done, I mean, I've done a few of the, all the interviews and it's, it's really to actually, that you're so passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And I think, inshallah, um, hopefully more of us can actually do what we love. Yes. And love what yes. we do. Yeah. Sure. Which is
2: very really much, yeah. I think, also part of, I mean, you're just able to articulate it so much better. But, um, you know, yeah, that, coming back to that, doing, being the best at what you can, with what you can be. That's, that's, uh, you know, that's the, that is what is kind of, you know, expected of you. Yeah. No one said, you know, that's got to be the line of your vocation, whatever the case may be. But we, you know, uh, for Allah Ta'ala's sake, first, yeah. and we take it to our far, uh, or, as, or as far as we can, and Alhamdulillah, you know, yeah, that we must be, uh, Content, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, Thank, you. Uh, Thank you. Loving Thank what yes. we do and doing what we love, uh, I think, yeah. is a is a very beautiful way of, of ending it. Thank you. may Allah bless you. Amen, I Inshallah. Family. For us all, for us Thank all, you. Khalil. Inshallah. For us all, and for our families. Yes. Uh, Shasta'alaikum. Um, Shasta'alaikum.
1: <laughs> so that's it for today's show. We hope we added value. We hope you enjoyed it, but most of all, we hope our guests inspired you to live with purpose. Don't forget to send us your suggestions via info at accidentalmuslims.com. If you know anybody out there that is inspiring, that's leading, that's living with purpose, please uh, do contact us.
0: And remember, feedback is our oxygen. So follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I hope you enjoyed. God bless. as Alaikum.